Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. To say it's been a crazy week is, I think, an understatement. <clears throat> We've seen so much going on this last week that people are in turmoil, people are in chaos. Things are not working out the way they think they should be working out. Um, worried about a virus that, well, need to be worried about. That's true. But because people are not responding the way they think things should be, there's a lot of hatred, there's a lot of dissension, there's a lot of things going on that shouldn't be. Unfortunately, that happens all the time. Today's message, titled, Truly, I Tell You, You Will Be With Me in Paradise. When you look at that situation, it's the statement doesn't seem to fit the situation. But it's because what people are looking at, what's going on, how they're approaching it, approaching it from the way they think. And I just pray that as I deliver this message, this is a dying declaration. But it's a dying declaration that's personal. John talked last week about forgiveness, which was an awesome message. But yet, some people don't seem to take it personal. This message is a personal message. God, that Jesus gave an individual that is for each one of us. We need to look at the situation. We need to look at what's going on here. And I think the thing that's important is Jesus took time dying for our sins. But during that time, he took time to let an individual know that he loved them. And I think that's what's important understand out of this message let's pray Lord I just pray that you guide us today as I deliver you of the words that you've given me I just pray that lives will be touched I pray that in a hopeless situation that people will see that there's hope and that hope is in you Lord just guide me as I today as I preach I talk I just pray that you take those words put them in a life light a fire have them come to you or stir up the ashes dear God so that we can take the message that you've given us personally take it to the world at a time that where there's turmoil there's chaos there's hatred and it's a lost undying world We just pray that we can give them a message of hope, a promise that you give each one of us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) When John gave me this, you kind of look at the situation, what was going on, and there's a lot there. There, I'll be honest, there's a lot, and it's overwhelming. And when I read through it, I was like, oh my goodness, which point should I go to? And the one thing that kept on 
I knew what the title was going to be because it is a dying decoration. But how did that tie together? What was, what was am I supposed to be looking at? And the thing that kept on going on in my mind was one statement. Look at me. Look at me. And I finally realized that Jesus wanted me to look at what he, at him, and what was going on and what he was doing. The cross, we know it was there for our salvation. But it also meant that he had an appointment with someone. He had an appointment with, Christ, with God, with the people there. That appointment was that he was going to be offered up as our sin sacrifice. There's no doubt about that. That he, would, he who was sinless would become sin for us. But the thing about it is, in this dying declaration, he wanted to know He's pointing out that he comes to us and tells us personally that he loves us. If you have your Bible, I'm sorry, there's no PowerPoint. I'm just not. <laughs> and I'll be honest with this. When I started putting this together, I've rewritten it about four times. All four versions are different. Someday maybe we'll see the other ones. <laughs> but it was important to me to start off just before what John preached on last week because it's on the cross this is happening. <clears throat> and the first statement we see is in Luke 23 starting with the 32nd verse. It's at the cross and it's very important. It seems like when you see this statement at first, why is it there? It's only when we get to the end of what I'm talking about today does it start to really make sense. And it's not by accident. Verse 32. Jesus, little background. Jesus has been arrested. He's been betrayed. He's been tried twice. <coughs> He's been turned over for crucifixion. He's been beaten been tortured, he's been mocked. Probably, we know he had no sleep. And this is approximately eight to nine in the morning. He's approached the cross. They're approaching the cross, and this is what's said. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. When they had come to the place called Calvary, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. Then Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. This is important. This is what John preached on last night. Jesus knew they did not understand what was going on. They were a part of something much greater that was happening. They were only seeing the things in the natural and it was important that this be said. And the interesting part, he's talking directly to his father. His father sees him being tortured, sees him being brutalized. He sees they place the thorns in his head. They crash it down. They put a robe on his back. They tear it off. And he asks his father to forgive them. That is an, that is an important message. That was the message we have. But after he does that, 
Look at what happens. And this is what overwhelmed me when I started reading it. Because there's so much here. It's like a... Ever seen a glitter bomb? You know, like blow up and all this glitter goes in. When this thing, when I started reading, there's so many things in the air that you could touch on here. But like I said, there was one statement all the way through this that only, it took me a while to understand what Jesus was saying to me. He said, Father, forgive them for what they do not, for they do not know what they do. But what happens? And they divided his garments and they cast lots. And people stood on looking on. But even the rulers sneered saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Here we have in this verse, this is what caught me. They divided his garments. They took his garments off of him. John said it. He was exposed. The interesting part, for everybody to see him, and for a Jewish man, that was extremely humiliating. That was extremely humiliating, extremely shameful. It shows that these people really held him in very low regard, that they didn't think of him, they thought of him as low as an animal. Interesting part is, this is a sinless man. This is sinless. Jesus is sinless, and he's exposed to the world made me think what happened back in the garden what happened when man first sinned what did he do well before he sinned it says he was naked and they were not ashamed but when he sinned they went and covered their nakedness because they were ashamed the one that was out sin, without sin is totally exposed he's going to take on our sins on the cross and that's so important. And that's part of the message. The one thing, too, you see, it says, the people stood looking on. The people. <clears throat> These people were looking for a Messiah. But what kind of Messiah were they looking for? If you look at the when he entered the city on Palm Sunday... When he entered the city, they were proclaiming his name, calling him Prince of Peace, King. They were just pr- proclaiming his name. They were looking, though, for a Savior that would deliver them out of their situation. They were oppressed. They were downtrodden. Jews knew what downtrodden mean. They had been through so much. And now they had another ruler over them, Rome. <coughs> and... They wanted that kind of Messiah, but Jesus wasn't that kind of Messiah. The rulers. Now, the interesting part, when you look at the rulers, there's actually two groups of rulers involved here. When we look at the rulers, we think of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We think of the temple rulers. And he, he basically threatened their position as religious leaders. And he did not conform to what they thought things should be. And because they did, they were in direct opposition to him. And they were going after him. They wanted to show him what real power is about. Problem was, they were under another ruler. This one was Rome. The world. The interesting part when you read this, if you go back a few, cha- a few 
places, a few verses in this chapter, you'll see something that's happening here. A lot of people, especially in the Middle Ages, blamed the Jews for killing Christ on the cross. That was, the, you know, that was the thing that was held against the Jews. But if you take a look at this chapter, and I think it was important that we wrote this. He was a physician. He's a smart man. But he was a detail man. And one thing that he picked up on when he was writing this story, there were two rulers. The ruler that was below the ruler that was in charge was wrong physically of their natural world. <clears throat> he wasn't really, and if you read that in, the, in there, he's not really concerned about their religious problems. But the religious leaders knew how to get to him. They pointed out that he was calling himself king. And the thing that they did was they made Jesus look like a threat to his ruler, his rule, that Rome's rule. And if you read in the chapter, Herod was the designated king of the Jews, Israel. You have Rome, who represents the Roman government, who has all of that area, all of the known world. And both sides are threatened. And they both know that Jesus is innocent by the standards that they're looking at. But they made a deal. It says in this chapter that they both agreed that Jesus would die. And it says in this chapter that they were friends from this day forward. The day before, the day before, they were enemies. But this day they became friends because they had a mutual threat. They looked at him as someone threatening their position. And the thing was, they were going to show him what power was. And the thing they did was, they're calling him now out and says, look, you said you're the Christ, you're the chosen God, you have power, take, you know, save yourself. If you read on down, the soldiers also mocked him. In verse 36, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. They figured that if he really was, that he had the power to bring himself off the cross. The thing was, he did have that power. But something was holding him on. They didn't see it. They didn't see why he was allowing this to happen. To add insult to, to injury, they placed an inscription that was written in, in verse 38. An inscription also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. The rulers... Basically, when Pilate did that, he says, you proclaim yourself king. This is what happens when you're a king outside of Rome. He wanted the people to know where the power was. He's the one who had that put there. He says, I've written what I have written and had it put there. So the world mocked him. <clears throat> then it comes down to this. Everyone is mocking him. Everyone has made fun of him. Everyone, and I... That's a nice word of saying what they were doing. He's been brutalized. He's been tortured. He has been in the sun by this time in the scripture, two hours on the cross. And even one of the people 
that he's with starts to mock him. It says in verse 39, Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. (coughs) Here's the guy. He's a thief. We don't know his name. We don't know who he was. He is being crucified alongside Christ. He probably thought he was unjust in what was that he received a sentence unjustly. That you know, it's you know, it's the world's fault. I'm the way I am. Have you heard that before? You know. We do that a lot in our society. We place blame elsewhere so that we don't have the responsibility. And then when someone comes along that tries to do right, we mock them in our society. He's getting his final shots in. But how many thieves were there? There were two. It says, the other answering said, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done what? Nothing wrong. He sees there's more going on here. This man is innocent. We're dying for what we did wrong. We... But this man is innocent. Then he makes a statement. I think maybe he realized partially that there was more to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, Lord. Do you call someone Lord unless you you see them as an authority? You see them as an authority figure. He's calling him Lord. And he's not calling him Lord because Jesus is making him to. To do that. He realizes Jesus is Lord. And he makes an interesting thing. Remember what the other thief said to Jesus. Say, save yourself and save who? Us. Get us out of the circumstance. We don't want to be here. It's the truth. That sounds like you want to say, well, it was more intense than that. Yes, it was. But that's what he wanted. He wanted to be delivered from a circumstance. This guy understood a circumstance and how he got there and he says lord remember me when you come into your kingdom interesting part about that statement he didn't say lord can i go with you he said lord remember me because he realized what he'd done and he realized this and jesus said to him surely i say to you today you will be with me in paradise Jesus took a personal approach to this individual. Reading this, remember this. You see it on the, if you look at it on the surface, this is a crucifixion. These people have seen crucifixions before. They intended crucifixions before. They had seen all this before, but something was different with this, and one person saw it. Now, the thing is, if you look at it, 
This seems like, could it be a coincidence? No, it's not. Because Jesus had a habit of showing up when people needed hope. When they were hopeless. They had nothing to depend on. They knew that they had sinned. They knew that they had done wrong. And Jesus would be there. There were two other incidences where Jesus was there. The first that I was thought about was the adulterous woman. Now, the thing I, when I looked at each one of these, Jesus, how Jesus met each one of these individuals was different. If you go to John, the eighth chapter, we've all heard the story growing up of the adulterous woman. And the thing is, on the surface, Jesus didn't set this up. He was in a habit of going to the temple and teaching when he was in Jerusalem. And that's what he was doing. If you go to the 8th chapter of John, it says, starting with the first verse, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. But then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a, young, a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, and they set her in the midst. We're going to stop right there for a minute. Jesus went to the temple to teach the leaders decided, we're going to catch him. He isn't ready for this. He doesn't know what we're doing. We'll throw something on him. We're going to trap him. And they bring this woman. And when they set her in, set her in the midst, in the fourth verse, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, here's the, here's the thing. They have presented Jesus with, they think, a lose-lose situation. If he says, well, we don't want to stone her. They can, she has broken the law. Our law calls for this. You're going to go against the teachings of our law? So, so he's made to look as a, someone who doesn't hold the law in esteem, which is a big thing. Other side is, if he says to stone her, the people are saying, don't you have any mercy? Don't you have any love? Why should they stone her? They caught her in her act. It was obvious that this is what? A trap. But it was a trap that Jesus knew. And the, interest, the thing about it is, what does he do? It says he stooped down and started writing on the ground as if he did not hear. I'm going to be honest. I'm not, I've, I've heard this. I've heard a lot of people say it. They've always wondered what he wrote on the ground. Oh, I think he just did it for one reason. 
He wanted them to think for a minute. They wanted him to react. He wanted them to think. Because when you, th you think, he is now, what he was doing, he was showing that there was more going on than just this. So, so when they continued asking him, so they didn't give up. They wanted to know. They, wanted, they said, we're going to get this done. He raised himself up and he said to them, who is without sin? He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. For them to catch you in adultery, you think they had to be watching? You think they had to be trapping her? You think they had to be sinning? The funny part, when you read this, he's telling them, if you're without sin, then you have the right to stone her. And what happens? He says it. Again, he stoops down, writes again on the ground. He says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. That's a great lesson right there, isn't it? Just that. Because the thing is, he's standing there. Who's the only one who doesn't have any sin? Jesus. Guess what? They have asked the one person who could throw the first stone. They don't think that, though. They realize their sins, so they walk off. Probably the oldest first, because they understood exactly where Jesus was pointing. The other ones, younger ones, as they finally realized what was being said, they left. But the thing is, what finally caught my eye was, and Jesus was what? Left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. They're alone. It's Jesus and her. This woman has no hope. When she's thrown in front of him, she thinks she's just being thrown up in front of another teacher. And she knows what the law says. She's not saying anything. She's probably exposed to the world. But she's shamed her family. She's shamed herself. She's saying those who know her. And the, inner, and the thing is, she has no defense. She knows she has done wrong. So she waits for her judgment. All the accusers leave. The only one that's left. So he thought Jesus was going to be an accuser. He's the one that's left. He's the one I can throw this. And he looks at her. And says, woman. Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? He points out, he's the only one left. And the thing is, he asked her, 
Has anyone condemned you? They've all left. And she looks at him and she says, no one, Lord. She recognizes him as a person of authority. She recognizes that he has some power here. She doesn't say, can I go now? She waits. She waits. Because she knows that he could deliver, still deliver judgment. What does he say? And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A lot of people jump on this and say, well, that means I could, he, can, he didn't condemn her. He, forget, he forgave her. The thing is, they look at it, oh, maybe it's all right. No, what did Jesus say at the very end? Go and what? Sin no more. Here's the key thing. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus was there when it happened. He was ready for it when it happened. He had a personal interest in that woman's life. And he looks at her, forgives her, but then he reminds her what? Go and sin no more. When Jesus meets you personally, maybe in a situation where you have no recourse, you've been caught, there's no other way to look at it, you know you're condemned. And Jesus looks at you, he's the only one that can condemn you to death, to eternal death. But she recognized his judgment. She accepted him as Lord. He forgave her and he told her what? Sin no more. People look at looking at this. Say, you mean she still had a yeah, well, yes. The difference is she has liberty now not to sin. I think remember John's mentioned the fact that people think sin's fun, right? That's why we do it. But there's consequences. And because there's sin, there's shame. So people hide it. Her case, she got caught in it. And she hid it. But Jesus met her when she was the most vulnerable. When he knew, she knew she had one idea. And he showed him his true self to her. People, that is important. When Jesus meets us in these places and we acknowledge our sin and he forgives us, we are to sin no more. And it's not by accident. There's another place. A lot of times we do something wrong. We suffer the shame. We may suffer the shame of our families, our community, society. Um, I know some people that have been in jail, come out of jail, serve their time, are trying their best to do the best thing. But they carry that stigma. They have a hard time finding a job. They have a hard time finding another thing. They have a shame they have to bear. And some people go into hiding with that. Or they find ways to avoid it. But Jesus knows it. 
And he will meet you there. He'll even decide that he's going to go there. Jesus, in the fourth chapter of John, it says, therefore, in first verse, Jesus had been ministering, and what he comes to attention of the Pharisees. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John himself, than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. He's going back to Galilee. The quickest way is through Samaria. That's not by accident. Jesus knew what he And it says he needed to go. He needed to go. We think it's just for a trip. His disciples just thought it was. This is the quickest way to go. We got to go through here. It's not a place we want to go through because Samaria, those people to the Jews were not good enough. You ever know people like that? You look at people, they say, well, you know where they live. They're not good enough. They're not, they they ain't raised like us. Sorry, being Southern now. They ain't raised like us. They don't know better. So they're looked down upon. Jews did that to the Sumerians. And that was important for people in this, for you to understand for the story. Because he's passing through a region of people who thinks Jesus is bigoted, that he's prejudiced, and he holds something against them. That's the way they're going to see him when they first meet him. They're not seeing him as Jesus the Savior, Jesus the prophet. They don't see Jesus. They say, Jesus the what? The Jew. They pin, a la- they pin a label on him. And he's going to have, to them, he's going to wear that label. He's like, how do you know that? Because if you read on down, it says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jason... Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came down to draw water. Now, give me a drink. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, that doesn't seem like much. But you've got to remember the culture back then. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have running water. If you didn't live near a river or a stream, you had to go down to a well or a cistern to get the water. But it's hot. That region is not comfortable. If you take a look at the stories in the Bible and they talk about watering is primarily done in two, one of two times during the day. Either the evening or the morning. And people would be gathered. And one reason... When they got the water, they not only gathered for the water, they gathered to meet people. They got to meet their neighbors. They got to exchange the news. They get to talk about things. This woman comes when nobody is there. There's the hint that there's something more going on here. 
And he asked her for a drink. The woman, she turns around and she sees Jesus and she knows who, what he is. Notice I said, they, she doesn't know who he is. She knows what he is or to her thing. And she says, the woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's approaching him as, why are you at, she's really being a little bit sarcastic here. She's basically saying, you know who I am. I know who you are. And you're asking me for a drink just because you think you can? She thinks he's looking down on her. But why is she so defensive? She's very defensive here. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she turns around and she says, woman said to him, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have anything. And this well's deep. Where then do you, where then do you get that living water? I did some little research. I didn't mention it earlier, but living water. In their day, living water meant it was water from flowing water. This is water that was always present. Living water was considered to be better for some reason. I don't know the exact reasoning, but the thing was, she's talking living water. She's looking at it. How do we usually look at things? In the natural. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the, of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now here's a, you know, we all look at that. But you look at it, it looks like, okay. She could be saying, but I looked at it, I go, wait a minute. She doesn't know who this is. She's going, okay, you've got living water. I want to see this water. But then he does something that catches her off guard. Jesus said to her, And I should say before, he's saying where to get it. He does something a little different. He says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. He doesn't know me. I don't really have a husband. He doesn't know my situation. I'll just tell him I have no husband. But Jesus does something that catches her. And changes her way of thinking. Jesus said to her. The woman answers I have no husband. Jesus said to her. You have well said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. In that you speak truly. He has exposed her. Right in front. There's nobody around. But he has shown that he already knows about her. And she's, she now knows there's more to this man than just looking at him and thinking he's going to be somebody who looks down on me. Because it's the way he said it. Because when you look at it, he just says it. He doesn't say anything. More. It says, woman, the woman said to him, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, gave you Jews. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem, this is the, 
is the place we're out to worship. Here's the thing. She realizes there's more to him. Maybe he's a prophet. And she's starting to get to the heart of the problem because now she's talking about worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Then she hits it. woman said, I know the Messiah. says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ when he comes. He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She's looking for a deliverer. But Jesus approaches her in such a way that she can see that he knows all about her. Yet he still cares for her. And she goes, I'm looking for a Messiah. And he goes, I am he. The thing is, she's basically saying, I'm looking for someone to deliver me, to save me. I need somebody to give me hope. And Jesus says, I am he. And the, the thing happens. It's, it's a normal looking situation. Because when he says this, his disciples show up. They see, they, it says at this point, they came up, they marveled that he talked with a woman. And no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They knew. They saw Jesus talking, but they didn't understand what was going on. But what's important is what happens next. The woman left and left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. This woman showed up at the well midday. No one around. She meets Jesus. He, she has an encounter that she never expected to have in her life. And he gives her hope. He says, I am the Messiah. This is the hope she's looking for. And what does she do? How, how do I know that she believed this? Remember, this woman had five husbands living with another man. She comes to the well. She's avoiding every person she knows. And she goes, and it said, and I think, I didn't pick up on this till just a minute ago. It says, went into the city and said to who? The men. She said it to the men. Not, not to a woman. Not to somebody who might know her. She went to the men. Those who were in authority. And says, come see a man who told me all things. They already knew her past. But she lost all shame of her past. Because what did she see right here? She saw hope. In Jesus. 
And they all came out because they saw this woman. They knew who she was. They knew what had happened. They probably dismissed her several times before. But this time, there was something different. They went, then they went out of the city and came to him. They saw on her a change. Now, in this, we see that Jesus met these people not in a group setting and just talked to the whole group and waited for someone to come down. He met them personally. He saved them. He forgave them. He gave the first. He told them to go and sin no more. The second, he didn't have to tell her anything. She went out and found somebody because she had hope. That place in her heart where she'd been looking for love in all the wrong places. Sorry, song title. But it's true. Am I not saying the truth? She's looking for love in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people, in all the wrong ways, and the wrong kind of love. Man shows up, Jesus shows up, and she sees it. And she loses her shame because she knows that this is her Messiah. Did this happen by accident? No. Jesus cared for her personally. He cared for the adulterous woman personally. Yes, there are great lessons in this. But in each lesson, what they thought Jesus might be, he turned into something totally different. He, they, got, they had their own idea of him. When Jesus was done, they saw him as he was. Now, how does that relate to the, the thief? Well, look, remember this. When you read that passage about the thief... What's going on? They're being crucified. Jesus is being mocked. Jesus is being tortured. Jesus has been... There's no way to really describe it. We all see pictures. We've all seen movies of the way he looks. And maybe I... This is maybe a bad analogy, but maybe it's not. But I got news for you. Have you ever, ever seen a fighter at the end, end of, a, of an MMA match? They don't look pretty. Guess what? He looked worse than that. Because they had been doing this for hours. Been beaten with a whip. Cat of nine tails. His beard had been pulled out. A crown had been pushed on him. When they put the robe on his back, it stuck to his back. And when they took it off of it, it ripped all those wounds open. He was not pretty. He looked like a defeated man. But one man saw through it all you look at this you look at the thief what's he say going back to what he said he first says to the he rebukes the other one and says do you not fear God seeing we're under the same combination he recognizes Jesus as divine for lack of a better and it fits he recognized there is something more about Jesus He says, don't you fear God? He's pointing out, this man is more than what he seems. And then he says, we're under the same condemnation. But the next part says, and indeed, we justly, 
For we will receive the new reward of our deeds. He points out, this guy realizes, hey, I deserve this. I put myself in this situation. I got caught. I had no defense. I was condemned. I'm being sentenced. And I'm suffering the punishment of that sentence. But this man is innocent. He sees the innocence of Jesus. He sees that Jesus is here innocently. That Jesus is without sin. He said, then he says to Jesus this. He doesn't ask why. He doesn't ask when. He just looks at Jesus. He knows there's more. And he says, then he said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom, your kingdom. What did the other thieves say? If you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. He's not talking about saving his soul. He's talking about saving us from our, our lives. So I can go back to doing what I want to do. You got power? Get us down from here. That's not what it was about. Here, the other thief recognizes his sin. He recognizes the divinity of Jesus. And he asked you, and basically when he confesses, he confesses his sin. And what he's doing when he asks him, he says, forgive me. He didn't ask, but he didn't use the word save me, did he? Because he's not looking at the situation. He's seeing that here there's something more going on. Remember me. That someone saw your innocence. And what was Jesus' quick response? It says, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Did Jesus say, okay, you figured it out. You figured out who I am. You've confessed, fine. Let's get down from here. Did he say that? No, he said, I will see you in paradise. Paradise, if you look up different meanings of it, he's talking about the new Eden. Basically, he is talking about being with Christ that day. Was it a coincidence Jesus used the cross for a personal salvation? No. There's no better place. Jesus, if you read the accounts of John and Luke before this, Jesus knew where he was going. Especially in John, he just lays it right out. He knew where he was going. He knew what it was for. He knew what had to be done. But he didn't take the attitude, let's just get this over with, did he? He took the attitude that I'm doing this because I love them. And the, the thing I find interesting that, that struck me, I, I, I use it interesting, I know, cliche-ish, we all got our own terms, right? But, it's tr- but this part lays it out. When Jesus saves the adulterous woman, he tells her to go and sin no more. He wants her to live a righteous life. When he tells the adulterous woman about her life, he's giving her hope that she can live. 
this guy's life is over. He knows it. But the fact of the matter is, what is Jesus saving us for? He says, truly, one version says truly, another says assuredly, you will be with who? My followers? Those who believed in me? Those Moses, Abraham? No, he says, you will be with me. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus wants to be with you? This is what this is about. This dying declaration. Jesus is pointing out that he wants to be with each one of us. He wants to live with us. That's what the Holy Spirit about. It walks, it guides, it talks with us every day. He gives us this word so we can go back to his word and study it. And see what he really wants us to know. And to grow. We have to grow. We have to learn. I'm a teacher. To, I'm, this is different for me. If you've ever been around me, I like, to, I like questions. I like answers. I like to bounce ideas. But Jesus, and that's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted these people to learn, to walk with him. Let's put it like this. Think about your true friends. Do they know you? Do you, they know you? Yes. They know about you. Are they people you can trust? This is Jesus. He knows everything about you, but he still wants to be with you. This dying declaration was to one man, but it's to all of us. Jesus wants us to be. He talks about paradise here. He wants us to be in the new heaven. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants you in his hand. Many of us here probably have already accepted him. But he wants us to see him as he is. He wants a personal relationship with us. He's not looking to be just our bud. He wants to be there as our savior, our king, as the body who loves us. When you enter, when you enter the kingdom of God, you not become a member, you become what? Family. You become part of the family of God. And that's what's going on in here. This person becomes a member of the family of God. Because I'm a teacher. Like I said, I'm not used to being up here. I'm not used to calling for an invitation. But if they will come forward, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is reaching out for your life. Your life is saying, I know everything about you. I know that you hurt. I know that you have an open hole in your heart. I want to fill it. I will be with you no matter what, even to death. You might be delivered from your situation. But we don't. If you look at the three stories, the three stories are left open-ended. With the exception of the thief. We know he dies. But his death was the beginning of his eternal life with Jesus. I think that's important. When we give our lives to Jesus, when he enters our heart, It's beginning of something totally new.
that is forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I've done my best to deliver your word. Sometimes it's hard. There's so much there. But you love us, God. You love us so much that you died on a cross. There's a song that says, why did they use the nails when love would have kept you there? The thief, he recognized your sinfulness. He recognized you as Lord. And you, that you loved him. He cared. He realized that you cared. That you're there for us all. Lord, I just pray. There's people here. We all have secrets. We all have those things we don't want people to know. But you know them. And I just pray that they'll surrender those to you. I pray that these people, that people will see that you love them. Lord, just in this moment, as your spirit moves through this church, that lives will be touched, that lives will be changed. We thank you.